thanks to Crime Malt. This is a new program called Radio Brews News. For the first time ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and soon to be hopefully regular co host, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome to our new show. Um, yeah, g'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Just trying to work out the, the unsubtle subtlety behind that. Oh, mate, I thought I'd beat you to the punch of uh, the. Uh, I see. Out of me for the uh, little hiatus that we've had. Stop being regular for a little bit. Yeah, we did stop being regular, and also we recorded one in the meantime that just didn't get out there. So I thought I'd, uh, yeah, I thought I'd preempt uh, the uh, whatever gag you had. No, no, is what it is. Mate, how, how you been? Uh, it has been a few weeks since we've spoken. You've done the Royal Melbourne show. Is, have I got the name right there? Yep. yep. Yeah, you've, no, you've done, done uh, over half a million people through um speaking to a lot of the um are we talking about through the show or through it, your particular part of it yeah no just through the show no we, we had a you know like a 10 meter by 10 meter so yeah half a million people in that uh all queuing up for a beer might have been interesting now overall over the 11 days of the show uh but speaking to some of our carney friends uh from um from the, the woolies fresh food pavilion uh, up at the air car a lot of them were saying that um they'd had a couple of like their individual biggest days um, and the thing about Melbourne is because it's during the, the entire show runs through the school holidays, there's no sort of public holiday day. There's no weekend day that's any, I guess, busier than any other. Any, any day can be the big day. So you're always kind of, I guess, sphincter clench just a little bit, waiting to see which day is going to be the one where you'll just get absolutely pounded and um, hope you've got enough stock and enough staff and all that sort of thing. Uh, and a few of the guys, yeah, had three or four of those days. And that translated, obviously, over into the brew bar, which was in the Winning Taste Pavilion. So over at those who know the, the MasterChef uh, studio, we were in the, sort of in the forecourt, set up in the forecourt there. So there are, we had, um, we had uh, charcoal chicken, we had some uh, smoked meats, and then we had uh, a wine bar and a beer bar, which was just terrific. Uh so yeah, I mean, isn't it great that um, beer, you know, good beer, not just contract beer, um, is sort of getting into some of these, you know, much broader events? Well, interestingly, um, I know for a couple of years there, there was there was no um, pouring rights contract uh, at the Royal Melbourne Show. So, and, and it's a little bit different to the Ecker. We don't have you know sort of the Cattlemen's Bar and the Stockman's Bar and that sort of thing uh, pouring lots of um, you know world famous well known and and uh, much loved in the local area mainstream beer so in the brew bar we had two brewers and a cider um offering their wares each day and uh, it changed over every third or fourth day so there were three three rotations of, of three different brewers and ciders and then over in the members bar the beer that you, you could get over there was uh, two birds and mornington peninsula brewery terrific yeah so oh. onwards and upwards Excellent. And, uh, mate, since we've, we've uh, spoken last, big news, obviously, uh, with the takeover um, of Mountain Goat by Asahi. Oh, is it? I haven't... Oh, hang on a second. Oh, yeah, I'm just getting something in my news feed now. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I had heard. Which uh, surprisingly came just a week after... Um, You'd written a story saying how fantastic it was and how widely they were getting distributed with the slab. Yeah, totally unrelated. I don't, you know, look, it was just one of those things of timing, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that occurred to me. It, it literally, literally that, I mean, that story was the actual, um, you know, story of a, of, of, of a trip out to buy beer, and the the thoughts that it then 
that it, it, it created. And yeah, to find out a week later that um, that the, the brewery had been sold, uh, interesting week. What's, uh, there's been a lot of discussion um, online, some hating, some, you know, unequivocally positive. What's your take on it? Oh, look, I think this is probably officially or unofficially, uh, you know, probably about the fourth or fifth offer that the guys have had over the over the 18 years. Um, I, I, uh, my take on it is that once you get to a point, I guess, where the brewery is very different to the one that you started, and when you think about it, it essentially, you know, it, uh, despite the, the very loyal and, and fairly large um, both admin and brewing and sales and distribution crew, it's still very much Cam and Dave's um, project, I guess, um, you know, their, their baby. And it's 18 years old now, so I guess it's it's old enough to be out on its own. If you get to a point, I guess, where your uh, market has grown past the point where you feel that your brewery is what it once was um, and it maybe needs, I guess, uh, a bigger family to look after it, then I guess you have to kind of let it go. And, and that's, you know, it, it's one of those things that I think... They struggled for a long time. Like it was people who think that they've sort of been rock solid the whole time. It's taken know. them. It took them ten years to become an overnight success. Well, or, or yeah, to just sort of not you know wonder whether they'd be able to make uh, salary. And and a lot of that growth did come from the volume that the contract brewing arrangement. Um, and, and I guess like I've, I've sort of had a few people have a dig at me for some of the things that I've said over the years about um, Mountain Goat, and none of it's been about what they've done or how they've or you know. The, the decisions they've made because they are very good business decisions. But I, you know, had some issues around transparency, transparency around, and, and and that was all. But you know, recently a lot of their growth has come from you know the, the cans and the bottles that are produced at Asahi, and I, I think you know the the, the guys are pretty much. Um, you know, they expanded the brewery. They'd taken on a lot of risks. They managed to keep the head. You know, it's very stressful running those sorts of business things and you know I, I was left with the impression that they just didn't want to you know to to the, the amount of investment they would have needed to build a brewery that kept all of their product all of their current production in-house was just much more than they ever wanted to take on again yeah um the, the attendant risks and so consequently it would be like starting again um but instead of starting a small brewery from scratch it's like you're starting a, a um a very large brewery from scratch mm. yeah and you know look that's you, you fully understand that, and so consequently, so much of their volume growth um, and their, their volume, and the, the thing that made their beer become so ubiquitous that you commented on it in an article, was because they were it was being brewed by Asahi. That production was never going to come back into a you know goat-controlled brewery. Um, so you know, it, 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 I, I guess it made sense uh, because it, the, the, the longer that went on, I guess the the, the less. Um, brand equity the guys had because it was you know to, to, to some ex- to, to some extent Asahi's been a a non-owning partner for you know three or four years. Yeah, and look, I guess in the same way as you know a a, a loyal malt supplier or a, you know the guy who does your design you know, designs your labels or um, works at you know your marketing campaigns, it's all part of a you know a, I guess an extended family. And I don't think anyone would begrudge the guys, you know, 18 years of a very hard slog remembering that, you know, the first five or six, they were, um, apart from, say, Grand Ridge and Matilda Bay, 
um, doing it on their own. It does highlight for me, though, um, you know, there is a bit of a nonsense that we speak about, um, you know, the, the definitions of craft beer. And, you know, fortunately, we, we you know, there, there should be a general move away from the, these artificial notions of craft beer, um, uh, you know, as defining the quality of the liquid because, you know, there, there's a whole lot of pretty dreadful beer owned by small traditional independent craft brewers and there's some fantastic beer coming out of beers made by multinational breweries. Um, but, you know, taking that aside, we do buy anything that we buy for a whole range of reasons, you know. Um, there are fascinating studies about, um, you know, people who buy generic aspirin over, you know, regular aspirin. Yeah. Fundamentally, they are the same. Some people like the security that comes with having a name on the label, Um you know, and we buy things for a whole lot of reasons that actually, you know, magic, you know, it's described as the magic that comes with the brand or the label mm. and security that comes, you know, we go looking for magic. And a lot of people do buy craft beer for that little bit of magic that comes or that, that good feeling that comes um, from buying from a, you know, Cam and Dave, you know, I'm buying the beer that Cam and Dave made, Um you know, and, and you, you you can't knock that. Again, there's a whole lot of psychometric studies that show, you know, if you were told that a, a wine costs seventy five dollars, it it's going to taste better than taste better. Bottle. Yeah. yeah, and and that's all of the part thing, and 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 you can't knock that. Um, but there are a whole lot of people that want us to say, oh, I buy craft beer because you know I'm I'm a very knowledgeable beer drinker. Um, and and, and to me that that's where that's. Do they always order it in that voice or explain it in that voice? Oh, maybe. So, but yeah. So anyway, you know, and, but but that's one of the things that you know, most of our listeners, um, you know, tend to be a little bit more knowledgeable. Um, all of us are subject to, yeah. to that sort of uh, bias. But that's also, you know, brings me back to to that one thing that you know, I, I actually I, I think that you know, for you can't take anything away from Cam and Dave, but I just would have liked them as industry leaders to have been a lot more transparent um, about the. Business, yeah, you know, the way that the business was evolving. Um, you know, they, they they set up, you know, with the made by goats, not by corporations thing, and you know, it's us against them. And as they tr tr transition to something where you know, well, you know, we're working with them as opposed to being against them. Um, you know, I think people have a right to know because. Do you think it'll be easier for the next brewer to, um, you know, apart from any recommendations from the ACCC? Um, do you think that 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 barrier is now broken? No, I actually think it's become harder for, for brewers um, to do it because they'll say, well, you know, Cam and Dave never did and you know, it never hurt them. But a lot of that was because Cam and Dave were always the face of the brewery and people, you know, people quite deserve it. And, you know, it, it's really hard to say, talk about some of these sort of, you know, messy elements of the beer industry without making it sound like it's personal. You cannot take anything away from Cam and Dave. And I understand why they did what they did. And again, it's, it's you know, as they might have admitted privately, you know, if we put Asahi on the label, people are, are going to look differently at our beer. Um, you know, which when you've got an investment in a business, you know, it's a scary thing to do, but at the same time, because people might look differently at the label, um, you know, I, I think that's why you, you you need to put these things on the label because you know I, I keep coming back to I was walking into bottle shops and being told, um, yeah, steam rail. Oh, that comes from the same place that makes that. 
you know, salesperson gesture, gestures to um, uh, Mountain Goat. Yeah. Mountain Goat. And, you know, when you've got the industry, when, when you've got salespeople saying steam rail is the equivalent of Mountain Goat and the industry saying, well, Mountain Goat's craft and Mountain Goat is the, um, you know, same as, uh, say, Batch Brewing. You know, Mountain Goat is the same as Batch Brewing, who we're chatting to in this program. You know, if Mountain Goat equals uh, steam rail and Mountain Goat equals Batch Brewing, then steam rail equals Batch Brewing, when I think, you know, you can draw a fairly you know, clear distinction between steam rail yeah. and batch yeah. brewing. But, you know, if, if there does become an equivalence factor because everyone loves Cam and Dave, but Cam and Dave's beer is being made by Asahi, then, you know, I, I think that's where we see over the long term a downward pressure um, and people being less willing to pay a premium for small independent breweries because most people don't give a shit about this stuff prof you know it's it's guys like you and i who spend a lot of time talking to brewers and worrying about ownership and things that the average punter um once the industry um gets a like a a, a sheen of well shit i can't trust where my beer comes from because it could just become a, yeah ben, ben Krause yeah. Um, talks about it you know people actually walk into his brewery that makes all of his beer and they can see the beer being made and so say do you really make all of your beer and I'm pretty sure they do ask it like that, Prof, because people who ask that question are, are pretty good. Yep, yeah, they, they do use that. But, and, and so you do see that. And if that infects the industry, the industry that we love and the diversity and all of these small guys who are producing very expensive small batch, but, you know, genuinely small batch beer at a much more expensive price are going to find the willingness of people to pay a lot more diminish because they won't trust... You know, there is this element of, well, I can't trust where it comes from yeah. because, you know. If you're Reverend Shaw, www.brewsnews.com.au. <laughs> so, anyway, mate, I, I didn't mean to get up on that soapbox, but, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I do, um, you know, I, I, I do sort of think is, is very important. But, uh, anyway. Um, now, today, uh, we, we have had a bit of a hiatus. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did um, an interview with uh, Barney Matthews and David Neitz about Brumanity. Um, it's probably a little bit dated now, but it's still fantastic. Um, it's relevant to... because today is Brumanity Hour Day. We are recording this on the 23rd of October, which is, uh, yeah, Brumanity Hour Day. So, even though you'll be hearing it afterwards, um, get into it um, and it's going to be a regular thing so get into it into the future um, good news to them so we might just go to find out a little bit more about Brumanity yeah I guess um, uh, interest in making beer is that I enjoy being at beer and enjoy drinking it and um, and I guess uh, I've got quite a few friends that are uh, involved in, in, in hospitality in the beer industry itself and um, yeah I was quite keen to get involved for, for quite a number of years really but um but I guess uh, things things for me started to get uh, more and more conversations about um, you know it's the old dream live the dream of uh, create the brewery. Um, but I guess more and more conversations those start conversations started to get a bit more bit more serious. Um, and then uh, yeah, was introduced to Barney probably at the start of this year. And, and I guess we've we've just sort of moved slowly but surely. Towards where we are, where we are now, and um, and for me, I, I guess, and Barney and I come at this from probably uh, slightly different directions. I've got a, a love for beer, but but part of my passion about getting involved with Brumanity is actually doing um, really good things through beer and giving a bit back to to community. So for me, it's probably a more 
even balance, I suppose, as, as to making great beer, but also giving back through beer. Uh, and Gab Barney can speak for himself, but um, but I guess his his um, background in beer is is probably stronger than what mine mine is. But uh, certainly, we're both equally passionate about the beer and 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 passionate about doing some good things through that. Uh, for me, it was a really good opportunity to uh, I guess get involved with a, a different kind of project. So I've been you know mainly bars and and recently brand focused, but uh, David came to me with this and it just sounded like a really good concept and uh, a really good opportunity to help shape uh, a beer company and some of the brews. I probably should uh, should have introduced you both a little bit more. Um, I mean, I guess most people will know uh, David as being a, a footballer of considerable note. Um, and, and Barney, you've, you've been a uh, you know, long-term uh, you know, player in the, in, in, in the game of beer. Um, as a founding member of the Good Beer Week team, um, and more recently as the manager of the Matilda Bay uh, uh, consumer-facing brewery, as Peter, Peter I like to refer to it as. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Barney. Uh, well, my, my background's in hospitality. I guess it's been beer-focused since Belgian Beer Cafe and when I started there in 2003, so I was there for about three and a half years, plugging away, selling uh, Belgian beers and moved into Beer Deluxe and, and helped shape that uh, and then on to, beer, uh, to Matilda Bay. So that's been the last 10 to 12 years. So that's that's all I've been really doing, craft beer, boutique beer, uh, Belgian beer, um, brands, uh, beer festivals. Um, that's That's it for me, really. And, uh, I mean, you've really seen the... You know, explosion. Uh, the you know the, the current explosion of craft beer happening through you know your your beer career, haven't you? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, we've obviously seen the last five years a massive explosion of of breweries, and I think in the next five years you just you're going to see the market catch up. With you know, I think everybody's just going to want craft beer uh, on their tongues. I mean, it's, it's it's got real momentum now, but I think in the next few years you're really going to see a big shift. In the consumer market, with with what uh, the every everyday person will be drinking, and uh, so how did you guys uh, come to meet and uh, develop this beer? Well, I guess we really came together through um, through a, a mutual friend. As I say, I've, um, I was uh, speaking to a, a, a few different people around around uh, this this whole concept of um, you know beer for goodness goodness sake. You know, doing. Uh, we, we, I guess, we had a conversation with a few of my friends that around, you know, imagine if every beer that you ever had did something good in the world, and we that that conversation developed, and um, I had a friend who who <laughs> you know, friends of friends, but a, a friend who knew Barney, uh, who put us in contact, um, and then from there we we you know we kept on going from there, and 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 obviously Barney had uh, through his relationship with Matilda Bay had. Um, uh, a good good relationship with Mick John Teeth, who who we've used as our um, uh, brewing consultant, really. But he's uh, been been enormous in in developing the beer itself. Um, so it's all been a bit of a friends of friends of friends uh, connection at this stage. And th- th- this particular beer that you've uh, you, you've uh, started with um, is to raise funds for motor neuron disease. Uh, what what was your interest in uh, that charity? For me, as I said, it started out about let's just see if we can do good things. But then um, my ex 
coach Neil Danaher. Um, he's had a uh, well-publicised um, uh, battle, I guess, with with motor neuron disease, and um, and seeing seeing um, the whole gamut of things that he's going through and had to go through, and and obviously when you think about a whole range of other people going through the same the same challenge, um, it certainly affects you emotionally. So um, very emotionally invested in in that cause. Um, and the fact really for, for MND sufferers is, um, unlike many other diseases, is that uh, once you once you get the diagnosis, there's there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no, um, perhaps we'll look at this treatment. Um, there's just a whole void of information. So, um, the, I mean, the Cure for MND Foundation is about filling that gap and it's certainly something that we want to want to do. And if people can do that whilst enjoying one of our beers, then that is absolutely fantastic. It, it, it's an interesting one that, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, beer and alcohol is, is tends to be quite demonised, and a lot of charities, uh, you know, refuse to have anything to do with any, you know, beer beer fundraisers or you know alcohol fundraisers because they see it as uh, promoting alcohol. Has there been any of those sorts of issues around this? Because the, the, the idea of every time you buy a beer, you know, it, it doing some good um, sounds like a very positive message, but it's not something that's embraced by everybody. Well, you know, um, Ian Davis, who uh, is the is the president of the Cure for MND Foundation, and and I only just found this this out after we'd sort of gone down the track of doing what we're doing, but. Um, but he actually worked with the Cavalier boys about uh, putting out a beer a few years ago in a with a similar um, kind of mindset, um, and uh, in fact he came up with with all of those uh, roadblocks and barriers um, from other other charities involved with with uh, MND, and that actually was the inspiration for him starting uh, Cure for MND as as a charity foundation. So um, so I guess look. Yeah, there have been uh, and there will be, I guess, some question marks over over um, alcohol and supporting charitable organisations. But but for me, I, I, I think that it's something, it's a part of everyday life. Obviously, we talk about responsible drinking and those types of things, but it's a part of everyone's everyday life. And if you can, um, uh, well, not everyone, but uh, a lot of people, and if that's a choice that you want to make... Um, then so be it. And then if you can do some good while you're making that choice, then even better. David, this morning in the in the news uh, in uh, on Melbourne Radio was the call by some groups to outlaw or, or to, to ditch um, you know, happy hours and drink cards and any kinds of sort of promotions and things like that. Um, through Brumanity, there's also the, the concept of, of Brumanity Hour, which is a great way of replacing um, a happy hour type sort of thing, replace happy hour with Brumanity Hour. Can you yep. explain a little bit about um, about how that works? Yeah, it's interesting around happy hours and things, but I guess I guess that's that's um, all related to um, you know excessive consumption and those types of things, which really, when you think about uh, more craft beers, it's about the taste rather than necessarily the excessive consumption. But, um, but from a from a brumanity hour point of view. Um, Essentially, what we're asking uh, pubs to do is to replace it, as you say, with, uh, happy hour with brumanity hour, um, and, in, and instead of putting the, the funds into the till, the, the funds go across to the cure for MND Foundation. So, um, so that's what it's all about, and we're hoping to really um, galvanise, I guess, pubs across, particularly Victoria, um, 
um, to, to come together and, and support, which, which pubs generally do. You know, when you think about the local pub in general, it's always been about gathering people together to meet and talk uh, and really that community spirit. So I guess it's an extension of what always has been um, in that pub community. But, um, but look, so far we've got uh, quite a few pubs that are, that are starting to get on board and hopefully we can uh, encourage a whole lot more, more to be involved in it. I guess uh, the next question is, uh, what have what have you come up with uh, for for the beer? Well, for the for the beer, uh, well, I guess it's um, <laughs> it's probably more of a beer for me than the beer for Barney. I guess if uh, I'm talking about my drinking drinking style, it's more a little bit more approachable. So um, so yeah, it's a it's a pale ale, and we've got um, we've combined some the Ella and Vic secret hops uh, there, but um, but I guess. The, the beer is uh, is designed really for me, something that I'd I'd really like to drink, and I think it's um it's more of an approachable type of style of beer, um, particularly so people and publicans can can uh, be confident that uh, people can come into the into their pub and and um, they can they can uh, you know I guess the word sessionable is the one that is thrown around at these these days, so it's um it, it certainly sort of fits within that within that profile. Barney, you might add, throw some more in about the beer. Uh, oh yeah, how, how deep do you want to go, Pete? We've, we've got... oh, well, look, you and I have shared the beer with Dave. I, I, I reckon I might call him out there. I, I reckon it's probably just as close to, to the sort of beer that you and I might, uh, you know, uh, yeah, share a, a pint of. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Well, <laughs> the, what we're really trying to go for is is that balance, and I think balance is the word that we'd probably like to use across you know any future beers as well, but... But, we, but particularly this beer, we wanted to make sure that there's something in it for the craft beer drinker. But also, you know, I guess what we're doing with with um, the event is reaching out to a bit more of a mainstream audience. So we, we want to be able to encourage people to get across get across to the good side of the fence and, and, and try um, a more craft-orientated beer. So that's what we're aiming to do, and hopefully we can achieve that. Yeah, you're spot on. It's certainly it's it's not a beer that's going to scare the novice drinker off in terms of you know some you know big barrel aged or or super highly hopped or um, you know high alcohol sort of beer. But by the same token, it's a beautifully crafted beer in terms of its um, we, you know we talk we've already talked a lot about balance, but it it really is just a very nice easy drinking beer. But that actually has a little a little bit of um, hop character and a bit of interest to it. Yeah, we're using um, Ala early and late. In the boil and uh, later on in the boil again, some Vic Secret. It's got some really good hot flavour. I had a, a sample of our second trial batch uh, yesterday, so the hot flavours are really coming through. Um, and there's a lot in there, I think, for for the craft beer uh, aficionado and the novice alike. There's, there's some good flavours in there, well balanced, uh, and and Ella and Vic Secret are great hops to work with. So I think people will, will really find an interesting beer. And, and you've got some other beers planned. Are they for the same charity, or are you looking at uh, supporting a number of charities? Um, so, so we're sort of uh, realistically at this point in time. We've got this this beer. This is the one that we've got, but we're we're in the process at the moment of um, trying to uh, get another beer ready. Um, you know, good beer week for next year. We'll, we'll try to uh, come up with something new then as well. Uh, but I guess. For us right now, we don't actually have a brewery. We are we are contract brewing. So um, I guess 
we, we start to get a bit more, well, the plan is anyway, to start to get a little bit more experimental and, and, and uh, more variety into, into our product mix once we've actually got the brewery in place that, that we, can, um, we can do those types of things um, more easily, I guess. But, um, but certainly this is the, the beer that we'll go with for right now. With uh, with plans to develop a few more um, as as we go, but um, yeah, we're we're already got our thinking caps on for, uh, for for good beer week for next year. And you've you've only done a couple of uh, trial batches so far. Uh, when are you going to get in and brew the beer that will make it out a little bit more widely so uh, our listeners can try it? Well, it will be um, out. <laughs> Brewmanity hour is on Friday, October the twenty third. So um, hopefully there'll be lots of pubs on board for Brumanity Hour and, and and raising funds for MND. So um, so that'll actually also launch the beer. So the beer will be available from them. Um, we're just doing it in kegs. We're not doing bottles um, at the moment. So um, so yeah, find a pub that's uh, doing the Brumanity Hour, and then um, you should be able to taste it at those venues. And uh, where, where can we find out a little bit more about the uh, the, the beer and the venues? Well, yeah, if you go online to Brumanity.com, uh, there's a there's a whole stack of information uh, on the website there about the beer and about Brumanity Hour and um, sort of an interactive map of to where you can go and those types of things. So, um, so yeah, that all of your information should be at Brumanity.com.au. Uh, and Matt, we should point out that uh, Radio Brews News does have many of its listeners are, uh, are publicans or involved, uh, you know, working behind the jump at various uh, good beer venues around Australia. So we would encourage them to to jump on and, uh, and give their support. And they can jump onto the website, David and Barney, and register um, their details and then and, and work out how to become part of Brewmanity Hour. Absolutely right. If you go just to the to the homepage, and uh, if you want to get your pub involved, yeah, just sign up as a pub, and you can find out more information and, and do a sign up there. So that'd be that'd be fantastic if the listeners out there uh, would go and do that. If you're involved with any pubs around town, and I suspect David that you probably still have one or two contacts uh, from a former life, um, and we, the, the the AFL community for those who don't know is. Um, it's not particularly difficult to get them to rally around a good cause and, and, and offer their support. Um, have you found that there's been some good feedback to, to you towards the project? I've got to say there's been fantastic feedback from um, obviously within the AFL community itself. Um, the AFL footy show are getting it behind it, so they're, they're going to, um, uh, to, to, to put it on their show. Um, they'll get one of the more famous beer drinkers. I think Billy Brownless might come down to Beer Deluxe, which is where we're holding um, holding a little a little function. So um, they'll be promoting it. And I've got to say, going around, um, you know, uh, pounding the pavement and going knocking on the doors of pubs around town, they've been fantastic in in their support as well. So um, yeah, hopefully it ends up being a great day. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Good luck uh, raising funds for uh, motor neuron disease and uh, can't wait to try the beer once it's uh, available. And uh, up in Brisbane, hopefully, we'll be able to get a couple of venues on board so we definitely can try it. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks a lot. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty.
Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpacks brewers love having passionate hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Uh, that was David Neitz and Barney Matthews, uh, and you know, all, all power to them uh, on Brumanity Hour. Let's you know, hope that it spreads and uh, you know does really, really good things um, for motor neurone disease. Yeah, plenty of plenty of pubs on board, which is great. I'm going to pop down uh, to the local tap house in St Kilda tonight and um, show my support, put my money where my beer goes, and um, I'll let you know how it goes. Terrific. Now, uh, moving right along, because um, I've actually got to get out of here and host a beer lunch uh, before I head up to the coast and host a beer dinner. Busy days. Um, we're speaking to Batch Brewing. I caught up with these guys in Melbourne, and really interesting guys. Um, uh, Sydney, little Sydney craft brewery, um, you know, really fascinating background to it. So uh, I thought we'd get them on and uh, find out a little bit about, you know, uh, all things Batch Brewing and uh, maybe even a little bit of a chat about mason jars. Uh, we got started just about two years ago. We put a 10-barrel uh, brew house into an old smash repair shop in a commercial zone in the inner west of Sydney. Uh, it's called Marrickville. Uh, we've got a pretty good base of population around us. Um, you know, 300 meters in every direction is, is residential, and they're, they're just you know, beautiful, open-minded people who are you know, really excited that something fresh and new was happening in their neighborhood. Uh, so we brew... You know, one originally one beer, now two beers on a on a regular basis, so they're always available. Everything else that we do beyond that is either a seasonal or a one-off release. It's you know inspired by what's happening around us or or the the things we've tasted or people we've met. Um, so we're punching out beer on a relatively small scale, ten barrels, but we're turning over pretty frequently. We've got a number of single bar, uh, single batch tanks and a handful of double batch tanks, so we can sort of balance the the volume. Uh, with the variety and that's really that's the ethos we have here is putting out uh, a variety uh, things that you know don't sit around in storage too long but get straight out to the customer quickly and and uh, and are consumed you know shortly after being made I I will take you back a little bit uh, uh, beyond the creation of batch brewing but before we do just explain to to the readers what a 10 barrel system is what that equates in terms of uh, your metric Um, so it's roughly 12 hectoliters uh, you know, we net about 21, 22 kegs out of a single batch. Too easy. Now, that's Batch Brewing Company uh, coming up to two years old. Tell us about where Chris and Andrew come from yourselves. You obviously, uh, judging by your accent, aren't local. No, so this is Chris. I'm from New Jersey. I've been in Australia for about seven years, just over. Uh, Isn't that uh, New, uh, New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Something like Forget that. about it. It's um, yeah. So seven years ago, I moved with a bank. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I left that bank to to do this. Uh, yeah, and I'm Andrew. I'm from uh, Baltimore originally, and um, but I, I've been living in Australia. I, I think I think I've been here for twelve years or thirteen. I lost track. Like I lost track now, but. Yeah, and I I come from the beer industry um, previously, uh, and from the sales and marketing kind of background. And how did you guys meet? Uh, lacrosse, the uh, that it's that American sport that uh, everyone always in, in Australia always says they've seen on American Pie. 
<laughs> and one of the most violent sports in the world. Uh, yeah, I believe that. I think it is. It's a pretty violent sport. It's a very, it's a, it's an awesome sport. It's um, like legally violent, I should point out. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I know you're not supposed is. to cross check and all that sort of thing, but a lot of that goes on. And the ball moves at a, at a fair whack. Yeah, it does. It does. It's it's a great game to you know build some camaraderie after with uh, with a couple of fresh beers. <laughs> and uh, so, so you you met playing lacrosse, and what what's your background in in the beer industry, uh, Chris? Did you uh, did you have a background in sort of home brewing when you were working for the bank, or what what was the story with how you came to beer? Uh, yeah, beer just always been uh, fascinated by the romance of of production and um, and small scale production. Um, the romance of poverty? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know, somebody off in, in the woods somewhere stirring up a batch of, of beer and, and sweating over the mash tun. But, um, yeah, always always doing a little tinkering. And then when Andrew and I sat down and, you know, had a conversation, we uh, explored working together by, you know, buying a, a fairly um, fairly schmick homebrew system and, and really, you know, drilling down on particular recipes and, and you know, just taking it from there. And what led you to take the plunge from brewing on a Schmick homebrew system to uh, to opening batch brewing? I, I think I think we um, when we when we took made that commitment to um, to brew kind of in my in my backyard. I think we we started brewing uh, you know effectively our um, building our American Pale Ale recipe, what it is now. That was the beginning of it, kind of knowing that that's kind of what we wanted to have as our staple and. We realized uh, we dumped the first batch because we were so excited to to brew beer that we didn't kind of do like a water run or kind of get everything out of the system. So we, we dumped that batch, but at, on our second batch we we kind of sat back and we we did a bottle conditioning uh, thing on so it was you know four weeks after we brewed the first one we tasted it and we we're like this isn't so bad, and then we tasted the second batch and the second batch and we realized that we could you know we actually we could brew beer together and we could brew decent beer, um, and so to be honest with you. We just kept on going. We just said, "All right, well, this is something we think we've—it's got legs." So we just kept on putting a business case together to to scale it up and, and go pro. And meanwhile, building other recipes and stuff like that. So we had some good base recipes to start off with. Was there always the thought, though, that you guys would be batch brewing in terms of um, the scale, like as in you know just doing a beer a single batch at a time, or was it a case of? That's all we could fit in the space that we could find, or it's all we could afford in terms of the the equipment. Or did you did you set out to say, let's be, I guess, you know, small, local, independent? We we absolutely set out to to get a lot of feedback from people. So we uh, we knew we wanted to have variety. It's uh, it's the way we consume beer. It's you know, you go to the bottle shop, and and for me back home, it was always you know the twenty two ounce bombers. Um, you'd grab a couple of those instead of a six pack, and you'd, you know uh, satisfy the the need for variety. So we we wanted to carry that into brewing. Uh, it was always intended to be local. I mean, we we know our limitations. We know what equipment we can afford, and uh, we you know we don't pasteurize, we don't filter. We give things the, the appropriate amount of time to clarify to the point where we're happy, uh, but we don't employ. Um, you know, microbiologists and, you know, we don't have those kind of resources. So we, we knew everything had to be consumed fresh. Uh, not only does it taste better, but you, you know, you don't have the issues of, of the beer changing over time. Um, but yeah, just coming back to the variety and, and, and the scale, it was just, you know, just suited the, 
the reach we wanted to have. Plus, it's it's fun. Uh, you know, we, we didn't want to brew to a label. Um, you know, it's we, we didn't want to say, all right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put the American Pale Ale out. Well, I mean, American Pale Ale, sorry, is a bad example. That's the one beer that we always have the same ABV and we take that very seriously. Uh, that in the West Coast IPA, sorry. But we didn't want to sit there and say, yeah, we're going to put this beer out and we're just going to continually brew that over and over again at the same ABV and, and um, you know, and, and brew to a label. We wanted to have the, give ourselves the variety and the fun to be able to play around. And um, to be honest, like we're kind of indulging ourselves. It's kind of what what we want to what we want to drink, what we want to see in market. And obviously, we're listening to what our consumers are telling us too. But um, to be honest, it's it's we're kind of saying like this. We like these beers, and we're passionate about doing this. So let's do this. Let's not lock ourselves into doing anything, um, you know, and, and having a set range. And when we can't give ourselves the flexibility. Now, Chris, you, you've got a background in banking, um, which isn't one of the most uh, you know um, altruistic of uh, professions. And Andrew's got a background in you know marketing and uh, the, the business side of the brewing game. What's what's your uh, approach? You guys aren't setting out to change the business landscape here, are you? you you've, um, in previous discussions we've had, you're really looking at just keeping a small, sustainable little unit in, in, in what you do. Yeah, I, we we haven't really talked about going outside of, of the inner west and the CBD too extensively. Uh, we, we aren't looking to, to take over the country by any means. Um if we have a, a decent-sized business turning over enough volume to, to pay all the wages and the rent, then, you know, that's not a bad place to be. Um, things have worked out a little bit better than we would have planned for just in, you know, buying the, the tanks that we originally bought. We started filling them up a lot faster than we thought. Uh, we've had to add a few more, and, you know, we're talking about adding some more beyond that. But this is still only to service our area. Um, we, we aren't looking to, to change the world at all, no. We just we just we just want to brew fresh, good beer. It's, that's the main thing. So where where do you see the beer market? Sydney was one of the light, you know, one of the slower developers in in, in the craft beer, um, you know, burgeoning craft beer scene. Where do you see the uh, the, the Sydney market at the moment? I, I, it's still growing. I mean, we there's it, it's interesting. Uh, when we started two years ago, there was only a a handful of breweries. I mean, so is, I, I apologize for, I'm sorry, I'm leaving some out, but we only had, we had um, Four Pines, Young Henry's, us, uh, Lord Nelson, and a handful of um, contract brewers. Um, now we've got, uh, I think, triple, quadruple the size of breweries in the city. I mean, including our local area. We've got, we now have Grifter with a stone's throw as well as Willie the Boatman. Um, opening up, and plus there's a, there's another small brewery around the corner from us. Uh, well, it's, he's a, I think it's a nano brewery, but I mean they're opening up. So we've we've got people in our own backyard now uh, brewing beer and um, uh, you know setting up proper breweries. And then at the same time, uh, contract brewing has kind of you know probably more than uh, grown at a rate bigger than that because there's there's a lot more breweries now willing to brew for these guys who are kind of you know indulging in. Um, you know, in their passion and their dreams. So it's it, it's definitely still growing. I think we're really fortunate that we're growing along with it. Um, the, the segment's growing, uh, but there's definitely a lot more. Uh, and this is not the right word necessarily, but competition out there. There's there's a lot more people selling uh, craft beer. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely growing, and I think it's it's going to continue to grow over the next several years. 
What do you think the challenges are at, uh, to, to the industry at the moment? Or what, what are the challenges that you guys are certainly very conscious of for yourselves? Yeah, from my perspective, it's creativity. Uh, we, we set ourselves a pretty high bar when we you know, set out to make the, the number of different beer varieties that we have done. So we, we have got a little more bandwidth in terms of resources here in terms of personnel to, to start playing around with a few more things, um, start testing things, start really experimenting and, you know, deepening the, the culture of beer in Sydney and not just doing what we've been guilty of for a long time, which is just copycat brewing, you know, things that we've tasted in the past. Um, so the, the, the hurdle I've set for my team creatively going forward is to embrace, you know, the new raw materials that are coming onto the market and, uh, and really try to find some techniques that, you know, we can we can pull off so that's it's not a it's not a small uh goal i've set for them but you know i think we're up for it i think the sorry to jump in i think the, also the other thing is from a uh you know wholesaling perspective is um also just you know getting out there so we we've spent a lot of time creating beers that we're really passionate about that we want to get to consumers but also um getting really good quality beer experiences and, and improving that overall for the for the consumers so um you know, it's it's kind of getting you know new new a lot of new pubs are kind of turning their focus towards craft beer. So there's, uh, you know, it's the way that they serve the beer, it's how they store the beer, uh, you know, cold logistics, all that kind of stuff. So those those are actually real challenges that we're facing now, uh, and going to some pubs and the beer hasn't been stored cold, and it's you know, and for us because we don't pasteurize or filter, um, you know, it's it's tough to manage some of those. You know, you have to make sure the beer is poured quickly, and if it's not, uh, and it's it's a sl one of the slower moving taps, the beer can sometimes change. So there's there's kind of this uh, this piece around trying to get, uh, uh, I guess, manage the, manage the quality of our product once it's out in market. Um, luckily, we haven't had any any issues, but that's one of the reasons why we also stay uh, local as well, because it's much easier for us to manage. If anything, uh, we can mitigate some of those um, some of those issues. But I think going forward, kind of getting uh, people across, you know, del overall delivering a better quality uh, beer to uh, consumers is, is definitely going to be um, a challenge. It's interesting you say that because, you know, we, we have seen a little bit of uh, the craft beer just uh, becoming a trend where you know, venues that have no background in craft suddenly saying, well, we, it's what people are drinking, we need to put it on, without maybe having some of that back understanding of it but we've also seen some venues that hold themselves out to be you know serious craft beer venues putting on 20 30 40 um you know a venue up near me recently opened with 70 taps um and i was speaking to it and it's it's not a recognized craft beer area either um to have those taps so i was speaking to a craft beer uh, like a, a tap installer recently and he pointed out that a lot of the venues in australia are modeling the culture on what's happening in the u.s um, you know, with those big taps, but the, the U.S. has a very different um, tax structure, and also physically, the, the, the setups are very, very different. Where, you know, there's no disadvantage to a venue to put on a much smaller, you know, corny keg of a beer um, that will turn over very, very quickly. Uh, whereas here, anything less than 50 liters is taxed more heavily. But also with the glycol systems that we have in Australia, um, you can have you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 metres of line filled with beer um, that 
uh, you know, is being chilled, and so the, the lines aren't always being cleaned because you, you you can lose your, your your profit margin if you've got to you know pull the beer through. How how, how do you guys tackle that, or, or what do you think the industry needs to do around creating awareness that um, you can't just put on fifty taps without there being a loss of quality in the beer unless a whole lot of other you know structural changes occur in the Australian industry? Yeah, well, I I don't know. If I, I wouldn't be able to comment necessarily on the, the quantity of taps, but um, you know, in terms of uh, suggesting uh, whether there's, there's the right mix of having fewer or whatever. But what I can tell you is that Chris, the Chris, conversation that Chris and I have had, uh, and we haven't put it into play yet, but we're ta- we, it's education. So uh, we want to we're trying to educate uh, the bar staff, uh, bringing them back to the brewery, telling them about beer, and getting them involved in craft beer, and, and making and letting them know the ins and outs. And that, that's one step, um, getting them excited about craft beer to help, you know, s- to be able to sell it more, to get, to, to get it in the consumer's mouth, which reduces some of those things. The other one is, uh, and, and I don't know when we're going to do it, but we'd like to see it happen is actually putting someone in market <clears throat> that's, you know, testing beer lines and, um, taking that education piece that I just spoke about into the pubs, but at the same time also doing QAs on, on beer lines and starting to run, you know, a, a you know, having a, a mobile beer line cleaner or whatever it's called, um, sip kind of cleaner for, for keg lines so that we can ensure that um, beer is, you know, is always tasting as the, the beer is tasting as, as it should be um, at all times. So that, so that's, those are things that we're talking about doing to try and proactively kind of, uh, you know, help our beer out in market as possibly some of the other breweries as well, if we kind of go in on it together. But um, yeah, it's, it starts with education, I think. In the first instance, the, the big brewers have been good at making people believe the beer is indestructible, and you know so their beer often is indestructible. And uh, we've chosen to, to sort of decommoditize beer by using the equipment and techniques that we do, and that just forces us to, to get out there and educate people as best we can about the risks involved. I think you know a sixty or seventy tap venue is, is something that's worth giving a, a crack at as long as it's done properly and, you know, the lines are short and there's a cool room and not just, you know, a cellar from a pub made in 150 years ago that, you know, there's no way to refrigerate. Um, so if it's done right, yeah, go for it and, and, you know, curate the beer list properly so you've got certain things that don't necessarily have to turn over as fast. You know, there, there are ways to do it, I think. And that's where I, you know, I sort of look at um, you know, publicans. When you speak to publicans, in one sense, they know... That they need to keep their lines clean, um, but it is a significant business cost to them. Um, you know, just the the, the cost of um, cleaning the lines, but then also the, the cost of the lost beer and and all of those things. Um, but then there's also you know a public that is pretty uneducated about how beers should taste. Um, you know, uh, particularly a, a number of the craft beers that you know maybe can be a little bit variable. They don't. The, the consumer doesn't necessarily know, and unless the consumer is demanding good quality beer, is there a you know, in, do, do publicans see that as something that they can skimp on? Oh, that, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe. I I, I guess it, it's, that that's a tough one. I, possibly. I mean, maybe they don't realize that it's it's such an important thing. Um, I'd like to think that uh, if we if with the right education in place everyone realizes you can't skimp on that because uh, you are you are sacrificing product quality to save a few bucks um, so 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, what I do know, though, is that, um, you know, it's, it's important for us to make sure that everyone – we can control our own um, product, I suppose. And, and every time I, someone has a batch beer, I, I'd like them to have, the, have it the way we intended for it to be drunk. Um, and if that means that we have to, you know, kind of get out there and, and educate the publicans on what needs what needs to, ha- to happen for – to, to get that experience, then that's something that we'll have to do. Um, I, I think right now there's a lot of craft beer experiences that are, and it's, it's based on education that people are drinking craft beer, not potentially not the way it was intended to be drunk. And, um, but people don't, a lot of some publicans who are, you know, just coming around to, uh, to have craft beer on the menus are, it's just an education piece. They just, they're, they're not across what it's supposed to taste like. Um, so I, I really think it comes down to the, the education. Which is why we, we spend a lot of time on, you know, on most Mondays bringing those publicans and their staff out here so that they can taste it the way it's intended to. And, and we do the same thing with customers. I mean, they, they come in, they visit the brewery, and you know, they consume 20 30% of our volume, and then they go out to the pub, and they know what it should taste like, and they'll, they'll let people know. You, you mentioned that the big brewers have – you know, taught people that it was indestructible, um, that the beer was indestructible, and followed it up by saying, and in many cases it is. Um, you know, I, I've got a theory that one of the reasons that beer, you know, it wasn't just the sheer bastardry of the big brewers that saw, you know, beer come very anodyne. It was because there is a McDonaldization effect. People do want the same thing over and over and over again, and that was one way. And to, to their credit, the big brewers have really invested heavily in installing tap lines. That's one of the arguments they use for contracts is, well, you know, we've paid to have their uh, um, taps upgraded um, and, you know, we go out and clean them and all of those sorts of things. Is, you know, is consistency um, that has been delivered by the big brewers necessarily a bad thing? I, I was posed a similar question uh, from a fellow the other day, and I didn't really have an answer for him. But his angle on the question was the market needs to decide if the beer should be the same or there should be variants. And if there's variants, what level of variance is acceptable? Um, you know, certainly in a sour brewery, you you don't have control. That's that's You're giving up that control. In a mega brewery, they've got, you know, all the resources to make sure it's perfect. I don't know where the line will be drawn. I think I know where I'd like it to be, and we've built our business around, you know, where we see the line. Uh, but not every business model is set up the same way, so time will tell. I think. I think uh, just to to add to that, kind of another comment you made about the um, you know, the big boys installing beer lines and, and servicing them. Um, there is yes, they yes they've got the, the McDonald kind of approach to uh, punching out the same beers, and they they only fit within a range. And yes, I totally agree with Chris. Like the consumers will decide, and that sort of thing. But some of the some of the pubs that we're on that have big uh, Lion or uh, Sab Miller contracts uh, that are pouring our beer, so those are some of the best pubs to go and drink our beer in. To be honest, because I think they are actually getting service uh, on a regular basis, and it tastes great. So the one thing, good thing that they are doing is going out and servicing those lines um, and making sure that their beer tastes great. And so that's something we can definitely learn from them. Uh, that obviously we've been speaking about. Um, but I think I think just to go a bit further, I, th- I think the flavor profile in Australia is changing. I mean, when I first moved down here, I mean, you had, you know, like an amber was considered, you know, like a dark beer. You know what I mean? And it was um, everything else was, um, you know, just a, a, another version of light, um, light in color, pale. So I think right now you had you had a very very limited spectrum 
Um, and, and right now what we're seeing is flavor profiles changing. You're actually seeing um, the big boys starting to come along, and, and we're, we're I'd like to think that maybe we're dragging them along a little bit, but I mean, you know, a 4X has got uh, an Australian pale ale and ale out now. Tui's put a pale ale out. Um, so they're starting to realize that everyone's flavor profile is changing, um, that people want more flavor in their beers. Uh, so I think right now we're seeing that happen. I think if you if we had this conversation again in another in a decade, I don't think um, Tui's new like those lager style beers will be. Uh, or VB, for example, will be the mainstream um, style. It's going to be more, you know, sitting around pale ale. Um, how they choose to go about doing that, whether they just continue to punch out the exact same thing over and over again, or if they continue to offer more variety, I can't, I can't say. But the flavor profile in this country is definitely changing. It's starting to shift. Guys, just on that um, uh, concept, I guess you guys are in a, a, uh, an advantageous position for us to ask you with your background in uh, in the, the US beer scene in, in two quite different um, markets, I guess, you've now had a chance to uh, have a look at Sydney. How has the market, the, your your own market now in Sydney, how have you, you seen it grow? And what, what are the, I guess, the key elements of, of change over the last few years? Certainly the, the, the quantity of breweries helps. The number of people who are, you know, giving the, that authentic uh, brewery experience to, to customers. Um, also, the you know Dave's brewery tours. There are people out there who are getting information into the the hands of consumers and helping them have a good experience and and see a variety of different things. And um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's 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 that combined with um, you know it, we're, we're drinking Australians are drinking. Um, and I believe it's a global trend, but I know the Australian trend is we're drinking less now uh, units of alcohol than we were like back in like 1970 or something like that. Um, so in the past few years, you know, you've, we've seen it. It's this trend of people wanting quality over quantity. And you know, gone are the days, I mean, yes, they're still here, but gone are the days where people go out and buy a slab. And, um, you know, you sit there and say, all right, we're going to finish this you know, slab today. It's, people are saying, all right, well, no, I'm happy to spend a little bit more money and get a little bit less and start to enjoy what I'm drinking because I'm not going to go out and drink, you know, a 12-pack or 24 beers or whatever it is. So we're definitely seeing that. And then craft just plays right into that. Um, you know, it, once people, once people kind of move out of that mentality of drinking their same old four – their range of four beers that they only ever drink – and they kind of like, you know, dabble in a little bit of craft and they, they try one of our beers or something like that. All of a sudden, they kind of open up into wanting this, this variety and needing that. It's like a drug. Um, you know, they want something different. And I, you, you, I think we can definitely see that. And I think our, in particular, our business model seems to suit that. And we kind of knew that going into it. So it's saying we're effectively giving people variety on a, on a very regular basis by putting out new beers. And getting them kind of feeding that kind of want for them to be able to just try new and different things, um, and, and that's just that just keeps on going. I think the new breweries are you know adding to that. You know what I mean? So it's giving people an outlet to not. Um, I mean, it's great because our business is growing. We, we're appreciative of that, but we've got other guys around the corner and, and in Sydney now that are offering the variety and you know and, and feeding uh, the public what they want. One of the things you talked about uh, earlier in the interview was around the culture around beer and the service around beer, which led us into the whole pub tap um, discussion. 
the, the vessel that we drink in, incredibly important. It's a very important way to sort of lift the flavours and deliver them to us. What's the deal with the mason jars, guys? They're cheap. Readers know that you, uh, listeners know that you uh, had had a bar um, that that your glassware of choice was jam jars, basically. Yeah. So that was um that that was a pretty simple conversation between Chris and I. There's no style element to that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, people are saying, "Oh, you got so hipsterish." Uh, if anyone meets us, they realize we're like the like completely not like that at all. It was basically, um, it's something that we both grew up with. It's an American thing. You have jam jars kind of, um, or mason jars uh, in your house. You sometimes drink tea out of it and stuff like that. So effectively, uh, when we were finding our um, uh, our bottle supply um, for our 640 mils, uh, the same company happened to offer, I was looking around for glass around this, they happened to offer mason jars. And I realized that they're, you know, like 30 cents a pot. So we were basically just like, we had no money, so with, we're kind yeah, of like with a, bank, a bank account <laughs> zero. So the bank account, yeah, going you know very close to zero. We said, I think this will do, because um, who knows, you know, if we, we can't, we just can't afford to invest in, in glassware. Now, luckily, two years on, we've. Um, oh, we've, I just oh, yeah. sorry, I'll interrupt. We we couldn't afford to invest in the glassware that we wanted. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So two years on. So yeah, so we made that decision. Now. Um, over those t- over the, during that time, Chris and I have always said, hey, "This is the worst thing to drink beer out of." Um, <laughs> and we kind of were like, "Yeah, but it's like this is what we started with, and it's like we kind of like it. And it feels like it's part of who we are." And then we kind of both realized one day, I think we are I don't know what what we were doing, but we had a proper glass sitting in front of us. We poured our beer, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is just like..." And we had we had the two sitting next to each other, and it was like chalk and cheese. And that's that was that's when for us we we're like like we little we have to we have to spend the money to get proper glassware. So. Uh, finally, we, we, we've taken the plunge. We've done that. <laughs> and, and you've put out a very funny video that we'll uh, put in the show notes. But uh, t- tell us about your, your choice of glass. Did you? Because I, I believe that you've bought them through Zam, uh, which is the German glass manufacturer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I think that glass was. Um, it was. It's been a while since we've kind of gone through the process, but uh, that glass was was chosen um, based on, I guess. It looked it looked good. It seemed like it was going to be durable, so we wouldn't have too many uh, breakages. And we have a lot of different styles. I mean, you can go you can go down that route of having a different beer glass for every different style that fits the perfect. And this one is the kind of one that's it, it, it's kind of it, it, it's good for every for every style. It allows the the beer to breathe and you get the good, the best aroma. So we kind of had to choose something that was going to work for everything. And, and from my memory, that's how we did it. I don't know if you have anything to. Yeah, like one day it would be fantastic to have proper glasses for every style of beer that we do. But uh, again, just you got to do what's economical. And uh, obviously, you've got the new ones out there. How have they been received? Has there been much feedback in the uh, in, in the bar? For every person that used to give us crap about the jam jars, there was somebody who said, "I just love this." Uh, it, it was really surprising to hear them say that. And you know, a few of those people. Uh, have made similar comments, you know, I, I wish you still had them. So we keep a few jam jars tucked behind the bar for those for those regulars who, who we know like them. Uh, but otherwise, the reception's been fantastic. Do, do you think it is something that, um, you know, bars in Australia have tended to have just the pot glass that was the, or the pot or the schooner glass that was designed purely around being stackable and unbreakable? Um, it had nothing to do with elevating the flavours of the beer because most beers back in that day had no flavours to elevate. 
Do you think that um, as beer does take on more flavour that we need to go beyond just the standard um, shaker pint that has become the d- default craft beer glass? I don't think it'll ever become 100% adopted, uh, you know, the, the better beer glass. But, um, you know, we'll keep chipping away at it. I mean, there's there's some good glassware companies floating around out there now. Um, the more that people have a demand for it, the more companies will pop up to service that demand. And, you know, just like breweries popping up, there'll be glassware manufacturers, growler manufacturers, things like that. I, I think it comes back to that edu- 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 education piece. Uh you know, the first thing, it, it, I don't think it will change until uh, craft is really more prevalent and, you know, in pubs and has really entrenched itself, which it's starting to do now. It's, it's a great differentiator for any pub who does want to really show people that they, they curate their list well and they care about that stuff. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a progression. As, as they understand more about beer, they, um, yeah, they take more pride in it. They're, they're going to make sure the, the beer lines are better, and then eventually they're going to say, oh, it was just, this is the glass to best serve. So I think I think it'll it's a progression. Who knows how long it'll take? It's going to take some training as well. People need to be educated on what the right glass is, and you know, as bars hire certified cicerones and things like that, then you know they'll start to be clued in by the next generation that you know things can be a little better and people can have a better experience, and, and you, the owner, can make more money. Now, boys, you've done um, in recent times some collaborations, I guess, rather than with other breweries, although that's in the still in the works, or, or you may have done some uh, since I last caught up with you guys. Um, but you um, linked up with a local uh, bakery patisserie and uh, actually brewed a stout, especially for them to use in their to replace the Guinness in their beef and Guinness pie. So obviously, thinking of, of sort of keeping things, you, you like to keep things nice and local. Have you looked into the like the history of Marrickville, for example? I think one of um, Marrickville's most famous sons is the, uh, the Marrickville Mauler himself, Jeff Fennick. Um, is there any chance that we're going to see a, like a I love you's all lager or something in the in the future as a, a tribute to, to perhaps some other well-known people from the area? We, we uh, well, t- a couple of years ago, so we, we did that with uh, Strawberry Fields uh, Bakery or in kind of uh, uh, we brewed a, our painted black stout to kind of fit that um, to go into those pies and it, and it was it proved to be quite popular um and and we we also now we're giving beer we're still involved in the community we're giving beer to um bread and butter project for their um <clears throat> their beer Bethard, uh as well as a couple other things here and there with um local kind of uh, tea totalers and other local uh tea company that we've done collaborations with um we, we when we first set out uh with kind of a bit of a plan and certain local collaborations there's um uh there's a a church that burnt, not that we're religious, but uh, there's a guy named Father, um, I forgot his name, it's Father Dave, no, yeah, Father Dave, who's a local boxer uh, and runs a boxing gym, and his, uh, the gym burnt down, and um, we were thinking about, oh, what if we brewed a beer for him to try and help raise money to, to get his, so he could have this boxing gym, because he teaches people how to box, and it just seems like a good thing to do. Uh, we never got that off the ground, but there's things, things that we've spoken about um, trying to do to help, uh, help people out in the local community um but it's it's not something that we've we've kind of gone to the, to the next level with at the moment but we're definitely we definitely look for that inspiration uh uh and and we'll do something when it kind of when something strikes we we did have a great brew day with dj from modus operandi and we put together uh a uh, <laughs> an ipa served pushed by nitrogen which was you know very tasty we sort of evolved in terms of the recipe into something that 
you know, it was a bit more aromatic and less bitterness because uh, DJ had some experience doing that and he could, yeah. um, uh, he just sort of guided us on that one. And I, perfectly honest, I was completely against it, but I, I've got big open ears, so I was persuaded. Terrific. Oh, well, guys, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. Uh, Chris Sidwer and Andrew Finneran, all the best with uh, Batch Brewing, and uh, hopefully we get to join you in your bar very, very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. There we go, Prof. Uh, Andrew and Chris, really lovely guys. And, uh, mate, what would uh, craft brewing be without the odd American accent? That's it. Yeah, and I first met the guys, uh, it was probably actually this time last year, just after um, Sydney Craft Beer Week at uh, the Sip and Saver Festival and um, and had the guys there on the uh, panel of, uh, I guess, small, we, we, we put all, together all the small independent uh, little local brewers and had a bit of a chat about ownership and, um, you know, market and uh, styles of beer and all sorts of stuff. So good to catch up with them again. Terrific. Mate, I'll uh, skate out of here. We won't go for uh, too much longer. Um, we do have a chat next week. Interesting little bit of, um, you know, a story around about trademarks, um, one that we'll hopefully get a bit of a discussion. So we'll do that. And also uh, I've made contact with Anya O'Hora from, uh, who's in Ireland, um, formerly of Matilda Brewing. Yep. Wine Brewing, and uh, yeah, so she's very keen to have a chat to us, so I'll need to have a chat to you off air about how we can make that 12-hour time difference uh, work next week, So, but hopefully we'll be speaking to Anya next week. But listeners, sorry for the little break. Um, it, it is busy time, so uh, yeah, no, we, we thank you for sticking with us, uh, and uh, we do endeavour to be much more regular than we have been of late, but we've been doing reasonably well lately, Prof. Very much. So, anyway, Lockie, strike up the band and, uh, yeah, talk to you all next week. See you soon. And we are out.